everyone, welcome to Heart's Happiness Podcast. The place where I, Manpreet, share my journey of healing intergenerational family trauma to help you to understand your story. I share a bunch of tools and tips that will transform your mental health and allow you to find your own heart's happiness. So exciting, right? Each episode will cover one of three areas. One, raising awareness of what this trauma actually is and how it hides in our lives. Two, tools, tips, support, lots of different things that I've used to get better and heal from this trauma. And three, I'll be connecting you with so many specialists and therapists and coaches as guests on my show. So we are going to transform your mental health and empower you to take your healing by the hands and move forward. Hello guys, welcome back for another episode of Heart's Happiness. Today we have Kelly Payne on and she's talking about her journey with OCD. But before we speak to her, just a couple of quick announcements. My membership group is going to be launching at the end of this month. I'll be sending out an email this week. So if you are interested in joining this membership community, you'll get an email this week. There's a link in the episode notes. And what that means is that you get a whole bunch of great stuff like special masterclasses, special Q&As with me, a community of people who really want to rewrite their story of whatever trauma or um, behavioural patterns that have got them stuck. So moving out of the trauma and becoming your own hero. And also you get to meet so many like-minded people that you can connect with with story and the inner work that they're doing. So I'm really excited about launching that. So if you get yourself signed up to the mailing list and I'll be giving you all the details of how to join this week. I've also got a free event which is tomorrow the 15th of April at 8pm where we are talking all about how to embrace our fear with the next stage of this pandemic so the new normal like how are you feeling about it what fears are you having let's talk about it together and fit in some tools to help us process this next phase so that's my major announcements and also my group coaching program is launching again on the 27th of april and you can get details on my website so that's all my announcements and let's get on to speak to kelly about her life with ocd Hi Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Did you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm genuinely so excited to be on your podcast today. Um, so, you know, we're talking about a topic close to my heart, which is OCD. Uh, my name is Kelly Payne. I have suffered with OCD for many years. And I'm just really excited just for people who either don't or don't have it and don't know really what it is because there's loads of you know misunderstandings of what what actually occurs when you have OCD and then also just for people to have like a handheld if they are actually going through it and understand a little bit more about what they're going through and that other people do it too so it's exciting yeah thank you so much and Kelly is somebody that's um, a survivor a sufferer of, of OCD and that's why I wanted to have her on because as you all know on this podcast I speak a lot about trauma and one of the way that trauma can affect us as we grow up is it plays out in OCD so it's related to um when we're young when our brain's being built we will go into fight flight freeze or fawn and people that go towards the flight mechanism can have OCD they can have eating disorders they can overwork they can control many things so OCD is just a, a type of reaction to that so if you are somebody that can relate to what Kelly's going to speak about now that just means that that's what your mechanism is um, but that doesn't mean that you can't find a way to um, heal through it and work on it which is what Kelly's going to speak about which is why I wanted to have her on so um just for those that don't know Kelly just a real 
I know that you're you're not like a doctor or anything but just like a basic outline of what OCD is no problem yes I'm not a medical professional but I've been through it so I can confirm yeah, which is, I think <laughs> means that you are <laughs> exactly I completely agree so OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder and it's a mental health condition where a person has obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors what I always like to stress is that having obsessive tendencies doesn't always mean you have the disorder so you can have symptoms of OCD without having it full-blown. So using common phrases like, oh, I'm, o- I'm so OCD about, you know, dot, 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 uh, belittles a disorder to which it can be severely impact someone's life. So that's a sort of brief understanding. Yeah, thank you. So again, it goes back to that flight mechanism. You can be like controlling of stuff and, um, you know, uh, with many things, food or the way that you clean, but the OCD we're talking about today and the one that Kelly has is one that actually impacts your life so much that you can't do stuff and it freezes you basically in your life doesn't it and um and that's what we want to explore so thank you so much for that and um when did you start to struggle with OCD like what age were you were you and what was it like playing out for you specifically so I first felt really poorly and I didn't know what it was for a while uh, when I was six years old. I remember them coming to school and giving me like cowpaw and stuff because I was obviously so stressed and full of anxiety. And I think that led to me communicating that I just wasn't feeling very well. And I guess it's probably just because it was very confusing at the time for what, what I was feeling. So I couldn't really understand what I was going through to help people really, you know, get it. So The main issue for me was like picking up stones and junk off the floor and throwing rubbish away and checking it a thousand times, which is standard OCD. Um, So, you know, I was stressed that I would be missing something that I'd be throwing away. So it just could be a simple wrapper. But I would check it thinking that my beloved teddy bears or (laughs) something like that was in them, you know, and uh, I, I guess I've always kind of understood that I kind of thought without thinking it, I kind of thought that these inanimate objects have feelings so I was very much, I've always been like an overcarer, carer um, mm. And I guess that translated into thinking, oh my God, what if, what if this has a soul or a feeling? I never thought the words, but I think, I think that's how I sort of translate what was. So you just I'm felt like incredible fear that you could throw something away that you needed almost, yeah. you know, and that was an important part of your life. Like you were just so afraid of letting go. Mm. Mm. It's it a bit of a holding, um, I, I guess it I guess it was a little bit like hoarding mm-hmm. and um and then so did that did it stop then and or did it continue and evolve as in because I know it started when you were six so yeah I, I went to cams which is like a mental health support group for young people young children um, and I got a lot of help through them. Um, something I'm going to talk about later is going to be about the tapering meridian points and stuff that really benefited my recovery at that age from when I was about six to 10. I then relapsed when I was about 16 uh, and I'm still struggling to this day with what's going on. So uh, I can talk a, a little bit more in detail what was going on then, but that was sort of like the age ranges. Yeah, sure. And then when it when it when you relapsed as a 16 year old, it was it was in a different way, wasn't it? It wasn't the yeah. same kind that you had when you were little. No, no, it was different. Yeah, I, it was um, it impacts your life a lot more because you're understanding what's going on. And you're dealing, especially at 16, you're going through really important stages of your education into your early years of your career. So it was very important to not sacrifice those experiences and opportunities um but it was it was a very difficult time to face 
really severe OCD whilst going through that. Yeah, I can imagine because people when they're 16 are just not very nice anyway. <laughs> so like forget, you know, <laughs> having a mental health condition. Um, and just a little bit about how, you know, your OCD was playing out at that age. Like what was your compulsions and um, the, you know, the routine that you needed, etc. So if you have OCD, you usually experience frequent frequent obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviours. So um, so an obsession is an unwanted and unpleasant thought, image or urge, and that repeatedly enters your mind, causing you feelings of anxiety, disgust or unease. So what I was going through was I would get intrusive thoughts. I don't really like, and I didn't really think, oh my goodness, I'm dirty because mine was really contamination based. Um, I didn't really think the words someone's going to die. Um, and I also wasn't a man of psychosis, so I couldn't hear voices in my head telling me that but it was these urges it was the compulsions um, of basically feeling like um, I was dirty and I was going to harm someone Um, I know you're going to ask a bit later I know you mentioned about talking about the impact of being a child so I'll go into that in a a bit later in the the episode but um, it was it's all down to fear of harming someone and that I'm the contamination whereas a lot of people typically who suffer with OCD fear for themselves mm-hmm. I think that was that's where mine's slightly different um but when dealing with like exposure therapy when you're dealing with contamination the idea of exposure therapy is that you will feel very anxious and upset and uncomfortable for like the first um, a few minutes or hours and then that will start to decrease over time when you realize that oh look nobody's died nobody's harmed everybody's fine however when you're dealing with contamination the contamination areas would continuously grow and grow and grow so the anxiety would just get heightened and heightened and I think yeah that's that that was a did big not issue. work for you I can imagine it, it didn't like torture exactly but I was treated by a lot of therapists not all but a lot of therapists as if I I had failed their treatment oh that's horrible Um, and it was a choice of mine to not go through with it when actually from my perspective it was there isn't a treatment that you can offer that suits my recovery yeah Um, everybody's different right like and how they play out is completely different and so what I find interesting with what you just said there was that and this is what people don't realize with anybody that suffers with OCD, you know, just like, say, for example, with me, I, I, I have overeaten or drunk too much wine when I feel afraid, when I feel anxious, when I feel scared about something or shame or guilt or any of these kind of big negative emotions. Whereas somebody that has OCD, they use their compulsion to deal with their fear. And that's what it is. And it's no, it's kind of no different, but in the sense of the massive differences is the massive impact it has on your ability to have the normal life. And then, and a lot of people listening to this, there's not one fix for anybody. We all need something different, like to get better myself from my like PTSD and trauma stuff. I've had to have a whole load of different stuff. I've done tapping as well. And um, I've done holistic things. I've done mental health stuff like meditation and I've worked with therapists. That's the thing. It's not one size fits all, which is why I'm guessing when you were younger, that was probably harder to get your point across, right? Because exactly. you're in your the power of your family and everything. Yeah. You've touched on a couple of things there actually. And it's, I think one of them is that Um, therapy doesn't work for everyone but there are different types and there are different therapists offering the same treatment 
And if you're really struggling with say your, th- your first therapist and you're feeling really out of depth because you're just not connecting with that person, I wouldn't say to shy away from trying another ther- therapist because some offered the same uh, treatment, but I had different responses to it because mm. of their ability to just even listen and understand where I was coming from mm. and a way to adapt it and be more patient to how I was able to cope with the therapy. Um, and also... Um, something like with compulsions and how you're trying to help the audience understand what that really feels like was great. Um, I've always used the one where like, if you have a lot of people have a fear of spiders and if you don't, you probably won't relate to this story. <laughs> if you no, see, I think spider- people can understand it though. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you have a spider run across the floor, especially in the UK, because they're not harmful to humans, then it's, a, it's an irrational fear, right? So, but you, you don't have these intrusive thoughts when you see one saying like, this the spider's going to kill me i need to run away i need to kill it you simply have this compulsion this urge this fear overtakes you and you either run you kill you <laughs> sounds a bit dramatic when you say it out loud but you know and that's really what it is like from my experience yeah sure i mean and we all have that like we have these irrational fears mm-hmm. about things uh when i first recorded my first podcast and i'm sure you can relate because kelly has has hers as well and i was absolutely terrified like the things that i was saying in my head were insane and i had to just be like you are not listening to that voice in your head you are not listening to that voice in in, in your head but for years i didn't do my podcast i didn't share my story because i was listening to that voice in your head and that's basically what it is it's totally a brain mindset thing um but it doesn't feel like that and i'm guessing with ocd which can be related to like how i feel ptsd in my body sometimes is that the body can react so much to the fear so you know your heart might start racing you might start sweating your tummy might hurt you might have a headache you know all those kind of your body tells you you're in danger that's how entrenched it is right i can imagine no absolutely absolutely spot on i i am not unexperienced to an anxiety attack or a full-blown panic attack and Mm. um i See, I tend to put myself in positions where I know that I'm likely going to have a panic attack today. Um, and But I did that at the time because, like I sort of explained earlier, I was like, throughout these past few years, it's been such an important time for the early stages of my career. And I went through uni and I was doing routines over FaceTime and I was having full-blown panic attacks on FaceTime to my poor mum, not knowing what she should do. She should come and get me. It was a really helpless moment. It was really awful. Um, But that was like a daily thing. I'm there like, because she's there to reassure me that basically I'm cleaning my body like enough. So I don't physically need someone to help. I just need uh, the The reassurance. The reassurance was a massive thing for me. Um, but I would put myself through that because I was not willing to sacrifice. I will sacrifice my mental state, but I would not sacrifice my my future for for it. You know, and I think there is like a there's a strength in that whilst feeling weak. You know, no, no. and of course because um, and what's great about your story is you didn't let let it stop you. Like I think sometimes when we struggle with our traumas and it plays out in these ways, it means we get frozen and we won't do anything and we'll just repeat it all of the time. But what you actually did was you pushed through it and you were like, I am going to have this life and I'm going to sit with the uncomfortableness. And that is how you actually get better is when you're feeling all of those horrible feelings and you know that you're surviving. It's that kind of experience, isn't it? That can kind of uh, tell your brain that, look, I'm okay. See, 
yeah exactly. I went to lectures I got a job I went out <laughs> all these and things I, no absolutely I went out I had a good time people would not have known people would not have known I remember the only person well apart from the poor friends of mine at uni who had to hear about it every day uh, off the vents and the struggles um nobody outside would at, actually know at all I think the biggest person that knew was probably the cleaner because she would sit outside my door in hoover if I was she heard me having like a panic attack so embarrassing (laughs) I didn't want people to know I didn't want to look broken and I think a lot of people um that I know are very become really comfortable in this depressive state um Mm. because they know what they're dealing with it almost the idea of getting better can become a really scary thought because then you're at risk of getting poorly again and that sometimes is more painful than being exactly where you comfortably are mm. it sounds so um like lonely though you know like almost like you're keeping this struggle to yourself and you're uh, pretending to be someone else when you're out and about and I like because I've had like suicidal ideation and but nobody ever knew at all ever that there was something wrong with me because I'm a great actress and I really put on a show but inside I was really struggling and and for me like getting better was actually being more open about my story which I know you're doing right now but have you found um like these things have you opened up as you've got older about it um with like colleagues or friends yes so particularly at work I think in my younger years particularly when I'm working with younger people who would either judge or not understand or I just didn't want to look like I was going through something like that because there's a lot of um, really negative stigma to somebody who has mental health issues yeah Um, but when I've gotten into my current role which is in like a big organization with working with a lot you know older people who are more mature understand and are required as well in bigger organizations to support because it can easily be lost in these smaller companies uh, where they're not willing to support you um I opened up and you know what it's one of the best things I've ever done but you really do have to feel secure and confident within your position and be careful what you say though I think that's awful thing to say Uh, and you should feel comfortable to open up to say your line manager or the people around you to feel more comfortable but I've noticed other people who have opened up in other companies and it's it's been it's been interesting or a coincidence that when they opened up that they you know weren't getting as many opportunities or weren't or didn't have a better relationship with other people because of the judgment that was there um you know it could have been a coincidence but that's just how it was obviously won't name the companies or people experiencing that um yeah, my experience in my current role has been great. They couldn't have been more comforting. However, opening up, sometimes you then become, you can allow it to take over. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's what you need to avoid. I think, I think the thing is as well is like, it's just not being ashamed of your story because I think that's re- the really hard thing. Like, you know, like you don't want to sit there and be talking about for ages about all your different things to do with your condition, but you don't want to be like, the holding on to the shame is really difficult as well. So just that you're able to have those conversations with people um, that that is in itself is helpful in healing, which I can imagine a lot of people that maybe are listening or know somebody that really struggles with OCD. I, I mean, I know people that do not tell people mm-hmm. like their family struggles with it and they know the extent of it, but they don't tell other people. And it's, 
and it obviously it's different but you know it's you know my dad he took his life and I remember I worked in an organization for nine years I never told anyone I would avoid the question of how he died and that was my shame story that was like a weight that I was holding and that affected me on my own recovery journey with my own stuff so I do think but what you said there is is so true it's about being careful about who we tell our stories to because there's some people that won't understand and won't be kind and that can really set us back but there are people when you share it with someone like in your current team and they're great it's like it makes you feel so much better so it's you kind of just gotta figure out which one to do exactly so to begin I'm really sorry for the loss of your dad and and how that happened I'm sure that was a massive struggle and I'm sure he's so proud of the work you're doing to you know bring awareness to these situations um and I agree I think some people suffering with mental health issues like like mine um or your own experiences you know people can think that we're weak-minded and even friends of mine have alluded to it before so some have said that they wish they're in my situation and they're not insinuating the idea that it's because they want to understand me better it's insinuating because they think that they would be able to deal with it and get over it and ignore the intrusive thoughts or urges um what they didn't see that i like you don't see is like that i have an other has achieved what i have achieved despite it and mm-hmm. others have achieved despite it so even though it took me hours and hours sometimes six hours standing you know freezing in a cold shower having literally breakdowns about have I cleaned have I scrubbed enough um you know I went through university you know got my got my job I went out with friends I you know I pushed myself and it's so easy to say in just a short sentence but actually it's it was a massive few years of that constant daily struggle and I think that there is strength in that and that we shouldn't feel ashamed for what we don't achieve but then also having a mental health day is just as important you know understanding and experiencing the fact that you know what today I just can't do it mm. and that was a massive step for me yeah a bit, and just showing yourself love and care in that way and um what how did you start to like obviously you went to uni you, you were able to get a job and do all these great things so what really changed your healing journey so from moving from that exposure therapy and dealing with a therapist that you didn't connect with to how you supported get yourself getting better to do all these great things because I'm guessing there was you did have help along the way absolutely yeah I had a lot of help I definitely wouldn't be here without it um so I think the, the first thing that you, you sort of do get at the start of exposure therapy as well, but one particular therapist who I did hypnotherapy with, he really helped me understand and communicate what I was feeling and why. But he would then go away and do the research to prove to me, like whether I believed it or not, he would prove to me why that is irrational. Why is that wrong? You know, and so... There was, there was a period, I literally don't remember this time, but it happened where I literally could not give my parents any contact, couldn't touch them. They were contaminated. Sorry. Um, that was really, really hard. Um, they were the only people in the world. Um, but, you know, when your parents and you live with them, it, it's, it's a bit difficult and tricky. So he was like going through all of this experience of to why contact is so important and hugging is so important, you know, and how it really... Um, releases endorphins and you know and and so on and so forth to make you happy and you know it seems ridiculous saying it now it seems ridiculous saying it out loud but if it if it was normal then I guess it wouldn't be a disorder um so yeah that was great um getting a good relationship with my mum or somebody close to you and having her understand what treatment worked for me because it took me a very long time to convince 
Um, my dad's still getting there, but it took a very long time to convince my mum that the treatment that we were literally forcing me into was not helping. It was making me worse. Um, but the, the worse I got, the more desperate they got and the harder they pushed and then the, the worse it got. So it was this horrible cycle. Oh, no. So it wasn't until we broke out of that things improved. Um, and still a so pushing myself to achieve my goals, learning that mental health days are okay and necessary, having great friends and having an escape from, you know, from that situation. Yeah, really so you've got a support network. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like a really quick way of sort of summing up what was important for me during that time. Do you, did you ever, as part of this um seek out I mean I don't know what kind of books there are or resources there are or like I was find it really helpful which is why I wanted you on when I hear somebody else's story and when Mm -hmm. I can relate to it if there was ever a podcast was there anything that any resources that helped you to feel less alone in this and to build a community around others that have OCD definitely so um as I've alluded to already uh exposure therapy which is the standard and cbt you know all that is is the standard therapy for ocd um wasn't for me however i found uh the tapping techniques and you could just youtube this and you'll get up loads of videos you tap certain areas certain points of your body uh while saying what i did saying positive repeating these positive things that i wish my brain believed and i think it's kind of the idea that if you say something to yourself so much then you'll start to believe it yeah. and it's not it's not a quick therapy but over time it really really works yeah. for me but you have to do it properly you have to do it at least like in my opinion twice a day you have to you know do it when you're feeling really really anxious to get that sort of calmness afterwards mm. um, it's, it's not an instant problem solver but over time that was my that was my meditation really um thinking about mindfulness and finding an escape and a sense of calm during the storm that was really important um I really liked hypnotherapy my mom does that <laughs> I love that no it's yeah. brilliant I really enjoyed it I didn't feel that I went under when I was older um but I think that I mean like I said earlier it was with that um that nice man (laughs) that nice therapist who also went through understanding and giving me those you know facts and figures of why what I'm thinking is wrong um so I think that was just like the perfect the perfect storm I'll say again um listening to relatable music and singing for me was like a massive it's a like, release though isn't it i know it, it sounds it so, so is no, but it's so true <laughs> it's so true like um i remember katie like if you're struggling with like anxiety or eating disorders or ocd or whatever get uh, get better by katie turner uh who was actually someone on american idol um, and Anxiety by Selena Gomez and Julia Michaels. They were last year's hits. <laughs> I was just bringing a bit down. Nobody's relating to me. Nobody gets it. You know, pick on that song for a minute. Sing your heart out when nobody's home. And it's just such a release. Uh, because you kind of get to like shout and, <laughs> you know, really let out some vocal therapy there. So, um, and just having a good cry, you know, to yourself or with someone, just having a good cry. Let it mm. out. Yeah. My, my parents, they, they're like, they have this thing where crying is not okay mm. and you're not allowed to cry. And I'm like, no, crying is good. There, it's a release. Exactly. There's, there's a time to act professional. Exactly. There's, there's a place and a time when it's appropriate, but let it out. But um, 
yeah um and understanding that you shouldn't feel ashamed and so on you know and really finding that confidence and sense of achievements in your day and if that's getting out of bed and that's your achievement of the day then so be it well done you and if that's you know um jumping out of an airplane you know because you're doing something incredible for charity you know I'm not talking like these massive achievements that people make in their their lifetime I'm talking just like small manageable achievements or you had a day where you felt balanced that's all I no one ever says that like oh I had a good day where I didn't you know feel taken down by this I actually got through it and it was a good day like rather than we always remember the bad ones and not we don't always acknowledge the good ones exactly that's a really good point and writing it down and then because you'll be surprised of the list of achievements that you get when you've written things down Mm -hmm. there's great ones so how about people that are listening that maybe have family or friends or partners that have OCD what would be your advice to them so um I think to start off speaking, you know, maybe with more romantic relationships, because I'm in a 10 year relationship. Wow. Last, last month, um, we got really? to when I was 15. So many. Oh, 25. my God. So, so a- he's been through it all with you then. Yeah, because he he knew me, you know, I, I was really lucky to get into the relationship, basically, when I and, and sort of experience everything that you would normally in our culture, you know, in, you know, typical life um, of having a strong relationship. So. I think if I'd gotten into a new relationship after I'd relapsed, I think that would, would have caused some serious issues. Um, but he's been so keen to learn and support me and help me evolve into like the happier, better place he knew that I once was in um, and sort of make that my life again. And I think it helped that he knew me before, you know, he knew me at my best so that he knew what he was fighting for. Like it wasn't just that oh you're just this broken person it was simply that I I know I know who you are I know who you truly are and what you know what means a lot to you and that you you aren't this disorder you're more than that so he said to me once if I can't if I can't live with you at your worst and I don't deserve you at your best and that's really always stuck with me because oh, I think what a sweetheart. I know. hope you two are getting married because that sounds really cute <laughs> I know give me the ring <laughs> <laughs> um but that loyalty and commitment like has really helped us through um although the hard work really has to come from yourself and I think that's such an important point to make the hard reality is that no one is going to you know get through this for you and you know he he, I probably wouldn't be here without him but it really took many conversations and compromise and opening up about really embarrassing things and times you know he's seen me have panic attacks you know he's seen me at my worst he's there to help me reassure me whilst I'm having a shower and you know you can spin it all you want and say well he just got to look at his naked girlfriend but you know that wasn't a fun time (laughs) yeah that was that was a really debilitating embarrassing time for me to have to ask that of him Mm. um but you know we have always had it, it was never just like a you know, we're 18, we're living our best lives. It was, it, we really made a commitment to each other. We really, really loved each other and still do, I hope. <laughs> so, yeah. And how about with um, like your family and stuff? Like you said about your mum, uh, that she, I guess, changed over the time and and, and and understood what you needed, I guess. That's kind of where she changed. Yes. So you really, it took a lot of growing up and really understanding myself and having a lot of open chats and finding a lot of compromise. And I think that you have to draw a line together. 
you can't just have one person to draw the line and that what she that's what she was trying to do for a few years and I was like no let's draw it together I need certain things from you in order to do certain things so in order for me to get out of bed and have a shower if you want me to achieve that I need your help to do it and a lot of therapists right now would be going absolutely not that's not exposure therapy you're just going to get worse but for me we made an agreement for like okay I won't wipe this I won't wipe the floor three times I'll wipe it twice and if you know if that means I get to go and do this it can be still be something fun and normal in life afterwards you know but we'd make these sort of deals and compromises and over time by sort of taking away things slowly and slowly exposing myself so it was arguably a sense of exposure therapy over time that really helped so in terms of cleaning i she would say I'm just going to put you I'm just going to be really honest and open and just say um with the toilet and stuff sort of the the sort of basin of the toilet I'm not really sure what to call it I'll be like okay you're going to clean that for me I'm not going to touch it but I wouldn't watch her do it I wouldn't ask her if she did it like I have no idea if she cleaned that thing but in my head she like she probably didn't in my (laughs) head she was doing it and eventually I stopped thinking about it Mm. I I I stopped worrying about it because I'd forgotten the idea of needing to clean it because the responsibility had been taken away from me. And although I've kind of gone off subject and more about how I got, how I sort of treated myself rather than the relationship side of it, you know, it was really about making those compromises and understanding what was going to help. Well, it helped you, didn't it? Because like at the end of the day, fear is um, a story you've been telling yourself so many times you believe it to be true. And Mm -hmm. what she did with you by giving you that that slowly slowly approach is that you learn the new story that mum cleans the bottom of the toilet yeah and she's done it a thousand times so mum does it and that's the truth and that's the thing with all these things it's all just it's our it's our mind um just hearing something enough which is why like the tapping really works really well because you're repeating the statement so many times affirmations work really well for when you're afraid of something or like I constantly will tell myself I'm safe because sometimes I I just don't feel like I am um but when you hear something enough it can really help you and as part of your journey with this it's like the fears that you've been hearing you've been hearing so many times in your mind and that's why it kind of took over but I I really want to say as well to anybody that's listening that I truly believe that you know if if you're somebody that suffers with OCD that that is not your fault and it is just a reaction to your body dealing with fear and I believe very strongly that these things come from your early years so from zero to seven is when our subconscious mind is getting built so it's very interesting that you said the first time that you had it was when you were six and you were struggling with anxiety and fear because that might have been the way that your brain decided to cope with the uh, big feelings that you were having that maybe you didn't feel like you could share at home or or maybe it was coming from home or whatever but then and when the next time it got triggered as you got older, it came back up again. So I'm not surprised. But do you um, can you relate to that from like those younger years and, and things that may have happened that then you started to maybe use these behaviours to deal with it unconsciously, obviously? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's hard to look back. I mean, when I have terrible memory, but one thing I do remember is obviously, as I've sort of uh, spoken about earlier, in our conversation was that it's it's all about harming somebody else and me being contaminated me hurting someone and I had this huge fear devastating fear of death when I was younger 
And I always wonder, because I've always um, been so interested in like religion and spiritual belief and things like that and educating myself and what people believe. But I've always sort of been this sort of agnostic state where I'm just really open-minded, really willing to learn about what people believe and want. But I've never really truly believed in anything. I have no idea what happens after death. Um, and I think that fear of the unknown, it, you know, it's, it's a great privilege and a curse to have parents to allow you to believe what you want. But it's it's like um, you get a bit lost sometimes in what to believe. And if your if your life is followed in fear and you're dealing with something that's unknown, it's like, again, the perfect storm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So, but I think that's where it maybe came from. Yeah, of course. And just, and that, like, you like, there's so many micro moments when you're growing up, like maybe your parents were avoiding talking about death or like maybe they did certain little things that they didn't realize because they were just trying to protect you, but it kind of made the fear bigger. And, um, and you mentioned that your dad hasn't been quite on the same journey as your mum. Um, and where do you think is the difference? Is it just that he maybe is just not as understanding or? It's an interesting question um, and here's a difficult one to explain. I'll do my best because I think something that I had to learn was understanding what somebody's actions were and what somebody's intentions were because his actions were sometimes aggressive. They were nasty. They it put me down. You know, I was called a burden and it sounds awful, but it was true. Um, however, you know, and like I've said, they forced me into therapy that I didn't want and wasn't helping. But, you know, when I really sat down with him many times to try and understand what he was doing, what he was thinking, I could sort of see behind it all that it was all out of love. And he was just so desperate to try and help me. But I don't think he could deal with seeing me in pain. Mm. And I think there is a sense of selfishness in that as well, where he couldn't and I was sort of blamed for, in my opinion, and he couldn't deal with the idea that I was overtaking his and my mum's life in, in some aspects, you know, of the fact that I was five again and needing help to have a shower, you know. Um, and I think, you know, he's always told me that we wanted children when we were young so that we could have, you know, our lives afterwards, you know. And I was, you know, getting to 18. I think that in their heads, that was their time when they were going to have their freedom back to live their own lives, you know. Um, whilst knowing that their children were off enjoying theirs um, because they were incredible parents growing up like we never went without anything you know amazing but it was just when things started going wrong I think he just felt a little bit like his life was being taken away from him as well and he didn't know how to cope with that along with dealing with his own mental health issues and physical struggles um, so I think and it, it all kind of came at once we all yeah kinda, well, I was gonna say it sounds like um, you know, the way that you were changing was just triggering his own stuff, basically. And the blaming or saying whatever was just him sort of projecting that on you. And that's the thing. Like our parents are like nobody is perfect and they all they come with their own stuff and their own baggage from their own lives and their own childhoods that then gets played out when we struggle and we, you know, uh, and then we kind of look to them for guidance, but they don't always have the answers because of their own stuff which is great that you found them for yourself in the end um and you figured out what works for you and then you were you're able to communicate that with them exactly and, and that's like it could look 
for anybody that's listening that maybe doesn't have OCD, but, you know, it could be different in the sense that, you know, you're having to have boundaries with your family and they don't really understand that. But that's what works best for you. Some people will understand it a bit like Kelly's mom and some people won't. And that's but that is self-care, putting your own needs above pleasing somebody else or mm-hmm. doing what he wants or, you know, or anybody that's listening. Um, but thank you so much for that. Did you what is there anything that you wanted to add? I don't think so, really. I mean, if anyone's really struggling and wants to chat and wants me to go into more like about treatments and stuff, please do reach out. I'm really, as you can hopefully hear, very open and honest about some really devastating times of my life. And we don't need to go into exactly what you've been through. And I'm not a medical professional, but I'd be happy to talk about other areas of you know, that aren't exposure therapy that really worked for me. So I don't know, just putting myself out there a bit to help some others. Thank you so much for being so honest and open and sharing all of that with us. Um, it's like really helpful and, and to hear and to know that when I speak to other people that struggle with this, are actually having a little bit more insight into them so thank you so much for being part of the podcast oh and also you have your own podcast did you want to tell anyone about that i can link it into the episode notes as well oh absolutely thank you it's called real connection um it's on spotify and yeah it's just a place where real stories to connect an audience especially through the coronavirus pandemic um where people can connect um with their own stories I don't have an episode on OCD so here it is I hope you've enjoyed it thank you so much for having me Uh, it's been it's been great it's been great to open up thank you Kelly thank you and there we have it guys an episode completed I hope you enjoyed it and it raised a load of awareness in your mind there was alarm bells going you were all like ding that's totally me because that's what I was like when I started this journey and that is the start of the process finding out this information and realizing it has happened in your own life so I really hope it was helpful and before the next episode coming out next Wednesday be sure to check us out on Instagram so it's hearts underscore underscore happiness also we have a YouTube channel where I share the videos I create for Instagram on so you can check that out they come on about once a week and then we also have a Facebook group if you want to join to carry on the conversation I want to create a community where we're all talking about our very real experiences and traumas and then there is also my website called heartshappiness.co.uk which you can check out to join our mailing list so that as I create new services and support tools for you all you're the first to find out and I have a freebie on there so definitely check that out it's five books that transformed my healing so if you really want to kickstart and you know you're liking the content in here these books are like the basis of so much of my knowledge so definitely check that out and I will speak to you next week I'm so excited to continue this journey with you to help you to find your own heart's happiness take care